He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Welcome, my sisters, and welcome to the final evening of our beautiful Maximize Lifestyle Virtual Global Conference. Well, the enemy thought he would stop us. Now that we are unable to meet, we are unable to travel, the enemy thought that he had the upper hand. But no, when God is still on the throne, the enemy will never have, have the upper hand. And his word says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. Tonight we have an amazing feast that is lined up even as we expect the word from our dear Episcopal sister, Adelaide Ewart-Mills, hailing all the way from Accra in Ghana. So there you are, ladies. Settle down. Grab your coffee. Grab your juice. Grab your tea. Get your family into the lounge tonight, even as we prepare to receive this powerful word tonight. Let us open this session with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this amazing conference that we've had even as we have reached the climax and the pinnacle in this final session, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be enriched, we would be strengthened, we would be blessed, and that, Heavenly Father, your name would be lifted up. I pray for a special anointing upon our Episcopal sister, Heavenly Father, even as she shares the word tonight. I pray for every woman that has been listening to the word and that's going to listen to the word tonight. I pray that they'll be blessed and they'll be ministered to we ask all this in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen and Amen. Our guest speaker this evening is Episcopal Sister Adelaide Hewitt-Mills, who is an attorney by profession, specializing in legislative drafting. She currently works full-time as a pastor responsible for the care and crisis management of pastors within the United Denomination, originating from the Lighthouse Group of Churches. UDOLGC. She is married to Bishop Doug Ewart Mills, founder of UDOLGC, and a mother of four. She's an international conference speaker, holding conferences for different and specialized groups, and speaks on a plethora of topics. She manages the St. Elizabeth Orphanage as well as the St. Adelaide Schools. Episcopal Sister Adelaide loves the Lord and loves serving him under the leadership of her husband in whatever capacity is made available to her. Help me welcome... Lord, I am grateful. I'm a maximized woman. Praise the Lord. It's an honor and a blessing to be with you at your Maximized Lifestyle Conference and Convention. I always count it an honor to be a vessel that God would choose to use. I want to salute you on this important and special occasion. I pray that God will fill you, God will revive you, God will restore every good thing that has been lost, and above all, that God will use you to fulfill his purpose. I pray that this conference will be a time well spent in his presence, that the Holy Spirit himself will visit us, and I am sure that God will do all these because of his love for his saints. Amen to every maximized lifestyle lady. Hallelujah. 
Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for this time. We humble ourselves before your word. Your word says we should receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. We pray that we will approach your word with humility and meekness. We pray that your word will fall on good soil. We pray that every constraint to the word will be withstood. And we pray that the word of God will have free cause and be glorified in the lives of your people. Holy Spirit, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you, O God, my Father and my Lord. Lord, these people are your sheep. You have purchased them with your precious blood. I pray that this time will be hallowed in your presence. And I ask for your blessing upon your word. Thank you for the anointing of this clay vessel for the purpose of your people. Thank you for the privilege. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Speak from the heart of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to salute Bishop Mrs. Nyati, Mrs. Sarah Nyati, for inviting me and also for thinking about you in the midst of COVID and still striving to have an international conference for you, even in the midst of all the constraints of the pandemic. I mean, she could easily have taken time off just to relax, but I believe the visionary Bishop Nyati and Mrs. Sarah Nyati have you on their hearts and therefore, they are trying to let you receive ministry even in the midst of the pandemic. That is love. That is service. That is a servant's heart. And join me, celebrate her for that. Thank you. Now, I'm told that your topic is prosperity in the wilderness. Prosperity in the wilderness. I would like us to turn our Bible to your theme verse. That is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, reading from verse 2 to 6, I believe. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thine raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. And verse 7, for, let, for the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and depths, that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. Amen. Now, what is a wilderness when you say prosperity in the wilderness? What is the definition of a wilderness? A wilderness is defined as an uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable region or a neglected or abandoned area or being in a position of disfavor sometimes in a political context. 
He was in the wilderness of politics. It means that the person was in a position of disfavor. So a wilderness is where nothing grows. A wilderness is where you can't see life, you can't see progress, things are difficult, things are dry, and things are just not working. A wilderness is also a place of extreme loneliness and extreme sometimes isolation that often has the propensity to make you depressed. Now, how can you have prosperity in the wilderness? It sounds like an oxymoron, like antithetical or it's, um, it's the opposite. If there's nothing growing in a wilderness, if it's uninhabited, if it's uncultivated, how can you then say there's prosperity in the wilderness? But that shows that we are dealing with God Almighty, and he makes that possible. Of course, the definition of prosperity is well-being. In the book of 3 John, the Bible says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. So God wants you and I to prosper in spirit, in soul, that is in our mind, our intellect, our emotions, and also he wants us to prosper physically, financially, and in every way. I didn't write the Bible. God inspired his people to write the Bible, and he says, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. So now, if the wilderness is an uncultivated, difficult, uh, there's no vegetation type of place, how can we have prosperity in the wilderness? Many years ago, God told me that you can never serve him or have his call on your life without going through a wilderness experience. There's nobody God called who did not have a wilderness experience. Moses was in the wilderness, the Bible tells us, and he was tending the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, what had brought Moses to the wilderness? It was a questioning of his call. You know, he grew up in Pharaoh's house because God in his providence needed him to know the signs and the arts and to grow up to, to be a knowledgeable person so that he could lead his people. Now, Moses' nanny was his mother. So I presume that the mother was always telling him stories and telling him his reason for being around was to deliver God's people, that God had a purpose for his life. And when he grew up some, the story has it that he went out and he saw uh, uh, an e e e Egyptian and an Israeli fighting. And he, he joined the Israeli to kill the Egyptian and bury the Egyptian. And he thought it was a secret. Another time he went out again and he saw two Israelites fighting. And he went to separate them and try to make peace. And one turned to him and said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us. Do you think I didn't see when you killed that Egyptian and buried him? So Moses immediately knew that everything was out and he had to run for his life. And that is what ended him up in the wilderness. Somebody who had been called by God to be a ruler and a judge. First of all, his call even came into question, which is what Satan will always do. Way before Moses would even come into or fully into what God had for him, this Israeli man who railed against him said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? And that's exactly what God had called Moses to do. And that's exactly what God visited him again after 40 years for. And God said, I'm making you a ruler, I'm making you a judge, and I'm sending you to my people. So by the time Moses ran away and got into the wilderness, his profession changed. The person who 
had the call of God on his life, who was supposed to be a ruler and a judge, had become a shepherd boy. And he was just tending a few sheep. The wilderness is where the promises of God seem far away. And the promises of God seem to contradict themselves. And a place where you don't see God's call. You don't see the future. You don't see the destiny. You don't even see the promises that he has made. And that's where David, uh, Moses found himself. Now, many years ago, I was juggling what God's call and purpose was for my life. And at a point, sometimes, I felt like, you know, I can't see my call and I can't see what I'm about and I should just go back to what I was doing. My secular job as a, do as a lawyer, I think that it will give me more peace to go to such a place. And I went into my closet amidst tears, and God said to me, have you seen anybody that I've called who has not been through a wilderness experience? The wilderness experience um, rids you of any self-confidence. It rids you of any um, pomposity. It rids you of arrogance. It rids you of being a know-it-all, that I know God's purpose and he called me to be apostle, teacher, evangelist, pastor, and what have you. It reads you of all that. Because when he calls you and he allows you to go through the wilderness, you get to a place where you don't even know who you are. And he has to come back and tell you who you are. So Moses, the Bible says, was in the wilderness. Ruth, Naomi, she went to a place because... Where she was from, Bethlehem, had become a wilderness. And that wilderness experience led she and her husband, Elimelech, to leave and go to Moab to look for bread because God had visited his people. But God had a plan that a certain group of ladies, two ladies, called Opa and Ruth, they were going to encounter God through this journey that Naomi and Elimelech had made away from the wilderness. And then God used them to touch Ruth's life and to bring the, the lineage of Jesus through Ruth. That's how God works. Now, when you look at Matthew 4, Jesus, the son of God, the Bible says, and he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Beloved, if the Son of God had a wilderness experience, how much more you and I? The amazing thing about that scripture is that Jesus didn't choose the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. I think that many of us, if the Holy Spirit were to lead us, will probably not yield and will probably not go along. But the Son of God, he knew that God's purpose for him was greater than his dreams for himself. And so the Bible says that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Can you imagine? And yet, he fasted for 40 days. And after 40 days, Satan came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. I have seen that one of the major points of attack of Satan is to let you doubt your identity in Christ, to let you doubt your purpose in Christ, and to let you doubt what God has called you for. So even though he knew that Jesus was the son of God, and that is why he had come to him, his first sentence to him was, if you are the son of God, if puts a shadow of doubt if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, in the wilderness, it's a place of great temptation. Apart from being a place where you are not sure of yourself, you can't see God, and nothing seems to be cultivating. It's also a place of extreme want and extreme hunger. So after 40 days, he's still in the wilderness and he's hungry. And in typical Satan fashion, 
He doesn't come and say, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become cities. Command these stones to become a car. He says, command these stones to become bread. Why? Because hunger is solved by bread, not cars and cities. And he knows that. But he will never tell you, oh, command it to become bread so that you eat. That will give away the plan and make you see evil too quickly. So he just says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Knowing very well that when you fast, the greatest temptation is hunger. Even things that you don't feel like eating, they become very special to you. When you go about town, everything that is not nice to you suddenly becomes nice. So he was going to tell him, command these stones to become bread. Before he will show you the next step. The next step is to whet your appetite so that once you see the bread, you will feel like eating. And then before you know, you've eaten and you are at the beck and call of Satan. But Jesus could see further in the wilderness. So he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So he knew that as he was in the wilderness and as he was hungry, he shouldn't live life as if all that matters is the physical. All that matters is bread. All that matters is personal gratification. All that matters is human gratification. That's not what it was. So he used scripture to rebuff the devil. Now, Satan didn't give up. He came and he led him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he said... Look at all this glory. God has given it to me because, you know, Adam sold the world system to Satan. He sold our heritage to Satan. So Satan said, all this has been delivered to me and I give it to whoever I want. So if you will just uh, bow down to me, you know, I will give you all this. And... Jesus said, no. God said that if you fall down from that high place, he will give his angels charge concerning you. Was the third temptation. So he said, if you worship me, just me, just you and I in the desert, there's nobody here. I will give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus, guess what it means? You are not going to have to die. There's not going to be any cross. Things are going to be more comfortable and easier. And, you know, you don't have to pay a price. You are now going for people to put you on a cross, spit on you, reject you, say that you have demons. All this is not necessary. I can give you the kingdoms on a silver platter. Thank God that in the wilderness I missed all the temptation. Thank God that Jesus did not give in. Because if he had, you and I would be destined for hell will be finished, will be sold out. The keys of death and hell will never be recovered from Satan just because of the flesh and personal gratification. In the wilderness, your greatest temptation is our flesh. Our greatest temptation is our appetites. Our greatest temptation is our lack of comfort that leads us out of the word of God. Sad to say, it is true of today's body of Christ. We say we are born again, but we are so flesh-oriented that in the wilderness, we fall before Satan. In the wilderness, we just allow Satan to make us a football. But Jesus, he made himself an example. He overcame so that you and I will also overcome. Now, Satan came to him with the third temptation. He said that. He says he claims he is going to give his angels charge over you. And that if you fall down, he will not let your foot touch any stone. So, why don't you uh, make an experiment to see if this God can be trusted? The same trick that was used in the Garden of Eden has God said. Satan always comes to us in the wilderness with doubt about God's word, with doubt about God's integrity, with doubt about if 
he will do what he has said. Because once you doubt his word, then he can influence you. He said to Eve, has God said? And he said to Jesus, God has said. In fact, he even quoted scripture. He said, it is written, he shall give his angels charge. Unfortunately, many Christians today don't spend time in God's word. So when Satan comes and twists the scripture through anybody, we are not even conscious of it. And then we just go astray. But it's time for Christians to search God's word to know what he's saying. And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan was calling on Jesus, tempt God and see. Put him to the test. See if what he's saying is true. It's not about, God, I trust you, and I put you to the test, and I know you will do it. It's about, God, are you to be trusted? And you say you cannot lie, but really, I think you can lie. But thank God that Jesus passed these three tests. Now, when we look at 1 John 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The turning into bread was the lust of the flesh. The kingdoms was the lust of the eyes. And the other temptation was the pride of life, to see if, if I'm a son of God and I fall down, will angels really come for me? Pride of life. And the Bible says these three things are the sources of all our problems. Thank God that Jesus did not succumb to any and that he won the victory for us. That was Jesus in the wilderness. Now, if the son of God went through the wilderness, how much more you and I? The Bible says to the Israelites, thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. Amen. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years. So our first duty is to remember. When you are in the wilderness, remember. When you even get to a good place, remember. It says, remember what? All the way which the Lord thy God led thee. When you are going on a journey, there are valleys, there are hills, there are trees, there's a coastal line, there are mountains, there are uh, uh, ordinary plains, there are junctions. So many things happen on the way. And the Bible is teaching us that when we are going through the wilderness, or when we are in the wilderness, or when we come out of the wilderness, remember all the way, all the way, all the way, which the Lord thy God led thee. Remember, beloved, it is God that leads, not you leading yourself. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. But I wonder how many of us even allow him to lead us. Remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee. And which is, what is the way that God led them as they should remember? Now, when you read Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, that is out of Egypt, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness. God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness. Amen. They didn't choose the route. The Bible says there was a shorter route. But God in his omnipotent wisdom knows that if you go by the short route, just like the children of Israel, you will lose your faith. And that it's better sometimes that you go through a certain hardship than to lose your faith and lose your salvation. 
and lose everything that God has for you. God did not want it that way. So he led them in a roundabout way so that their hearts and their minds will not change when they see battle with the Philistines. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful with every temptation in the wilderness. He provides a way of escape. Our problem is we don't ask him where the way of escape is. We just go round about. But in every temptation, God has a way of escape. So remember, first of all, all the way that he led you. And remember that he led you. You didn't choose the route. And then when you read on in Exodus 30, the Bible says that God told Moses that I will let them go this way so that Pharaoh would think that they are lost in the wilderness and he will pursue them because of that. And then he will be destroyed and I, God, will be glorified. In the wilderness, you will not understand everything. In the difficult times of life, you will not understand everything. But the Bible has said in Romans 8.28 that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Beloved, all things are not good. This pandemic, for instance, is not good. But God knows how to work it out for our good. Lady Reverend, how is he going to do that? Search me, I don't know. But I know and I can see already his hand. I can see that he has reached out to us through online services. He has shown us another way of sending the word around. He has made some of us more technologically savvy so that we can use it to propagate the gospel. He has made us become isolated. In Ghana, we've had lockdown. And when you are isolated and you are leading yourself, and nobody's in that corner with you. It may be a wilderness experience, but God may be building your personal relationship with him in a very dramatic and profound way. So remember that he led you all that way. And remember that the Israelites did not know all the reasons why God led them through that way. And then also, God wanted glory. So he led them through the wilderness to combat the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Amen. The Bible says in our theme verse, verses, Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, that to humble thee, to humble thee. What is it in the wilderness that births humility? Hmm. In the wilderness, the Israelites experienced hunger. And God, they had to call on him. And he made manna rain from the sky. They, ex they experienced thirst. They experienced, first of all, that the Mara, the waters of Mara were bitter. And God said, take this leaf, this tree, put it in the water, and it can change from bitter to sweet. Then they got somewhere else. There was no water at all. And God said to Moses, speak to the rock and water will gush out. And Moses in his anger hits the rock and all sorts of things. Now, when you walk in the wilderness, there's a certain humility that comes over you. When you walk in the ministry, there's a certain humility that comes over you. When you walk with God, you realize that you are not in charge especially those of us who want to always be in charge. Those of us who always want to know the future. When you tell them, go here, say, what's the next step? God, hide some of these things from us so that we will totally depend on him. And that is very humbling. Because sometimes, when your money can get you everything, you say, my, 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 my hard work got me this. My education got me this. My pretty looks got me Bishop Dag. My lovely family background got me to where I am. Um, I don't need anything from the ministry because, you know, I'm provided for. 
So you don't even know how to depend on God for anything because you have everything. Now, many years ago, when my husband decided to come full-time, my parents and my parents-in-law were not happy with both of us. And both parents formed a trade union against us. And they discussed that it was because we were staying in my father-in-law's place, we were not paying electricity, we were not paying water, and we were not paying rent. So that is why we were having these terrible hallucinations about coming full-time ministry, especially my husband. I remember my father-in-law used to call me and tell me, Adelaide, you are the one I feel sorry for. After a man has married you, he now says he's going to preach the gospel. A noble doctor, medical doctor with a noble profession, with so much ahead of him. And he says he's going to preach the gospel. And that's your thing. That's your church. In that your corner. He didn't even know it. And then he would ask my father, what's the name? Is it searchlight, traffic light, or what type of light? Then my father would say, oh, one of the lights, you know. And in anger... They said that because we were not serious and we didn't know life, so they had to introduce a wilderness experience in our lives. So my father-in-law gave us notice to leave his place. And he said, I've been paying electricity and water for about two years now since you got married. Now, as you are leaving my place, you're going to set up, you're going to change your mind, about all the things you want to do, and you are going to see that life is about survival. You know, he didn't say so, but I think that he was envisaging that the hunger, the thirst, the difficulty, the frustrations would turn us around and make us change our minds. But beloved, by the grace of God, my mother-in-law got us a place. It was uncompleted, but we were so happy. The fact that we could, in our 20s, call a place our own. I remember when we arrived, there was red sand on the floor. But in the wilderness, we lifted our hands, not because we were so super spiritual, but we genuinely felt grateful. And we sang, and we said, Lord, you have been so good to us to give us a house with red sand on the floor. Hallelujah. People pay rent, but we will not pay rent. It was truly a wilderness experience. And by God's grace... We lived there for 20 years, and every time we'll be adding things. We tile a bit, we do windows a bit, we do this a bit. The wilderness taught us that our family backgrounds did not matter. My father was not a poor man, neither was my father-in-law a poor man. But here we were, living the life of real poverty, I tell you. When my husband says that, we used to gather coins to buy a tin of corned beef, you know. I look back and I say, hey, it was true, you know. But how come I didn't know I was poor? I think the grace of God helped us in that wilderness experience. And God brought us one step at a time. There were times when I couldn't afford baby milk. Just formula. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford so many things. But I didn't know that I was poor. I thought that that's how life starts. And then you take steps. When I look back, I see that we're in the wilderness. Why did my father-in-law allow that? Because he knew that a wilderness experience could change our hearts. But by the grace of God and by the mercy of God, my husband kept on and I also didn't know any better. I felt that this was God's will. We should just flow. And today, by the grace of God, the United Denominations of Churches originated from the Lighthouse Group of Churches. It's about 3,000 in so many nations. Everywhere I go, I'm not a visitor. Everywhere I go, I'm celebrated. And it brings tears to my eyes. But beloved, it started with the wilderness. I wish I could say that since we got to this place, the wilderness experience has lifted. Beloved, it has not lifted. But I know it is the God that we serve who is leading us all these ways. Sometimes things happen in ministry that break your heart. Sometimes you hear things when you've nurtured people and loved them and they betray you and they say all sorts of things and you are, you are somehow speechless because you can also get into the boxing ring and say, hey, I have your dossier, I have your file, here goes. You have to be a Christian. But in all of it, even this year and all, I just see it as God's humbling power and I celebrate it. 
Paul said that I will glory in my infirmities. Why? So that the glory of the Lord will rest on me. Beloved, sometimes I have gone through different climates. Sometimes, even this year and last year, it's been difficult. But in the midst of it all, I see a humbling hand of God. And I'm grateful for it. Because I feel that if God leads us on that way, where we now say, yes, we founded the 3,000 branches. Yes, and we are in this, in this place and this place. No, God will not allow that. For him to take the glory, he allows you to be humble. And when you are humble, he can lift you up. Because you recognize that everything you have comes from him. Hallelujah. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that he will exalt you. You see, when human beings humble you, it's to teach you a lesson. To put you in your rightful place. And to let you see that you are not something that you think you are. But that's not so with our God. He says, humble yourself under my mighty hand and I will exalt you. The Bible also says about humility that God resists the proud. Beloved, why would you like God to resist you? So he's teaching you humility in the midst of the wilderness. And humility is prosperity. Lady Reverend, why do you say that? Because with that humility, he has promised to lift you up. With that humility, he has said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Will you not rather be humble so that you will receive more grace? Because the grace of God does so many things. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, I labored more effectively than all the apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God. If this is what the grace of God will do, and if the grace of God comes through humility, should you not celebrate your wilderness experiences? Should you not see prosperity and goodness and favor in the things that God does? I am so grateful for the way he humbles me, for the way he humbles us even as a ministry, for the way sometimes he teaches us certain lessons that only humility can, can teach that. The Bible says when he took you through the wilderness, he humbled you. Beloved, don't throw in the towel. Allow the Holy Spirit, allow God to finish his work in your life and you will be glad that he did. Amen, somebody. He humbled thee and he proved thee. He proved thee. Proving means testing. Hmm. The Bible says, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Amen. Sometimes God wants you to know what is in your heart. You see, it says God proves us to know what is in our hearts. But I think, really, God knows what's in our hearts. Because the Bible says God judges us by the reins of our hearts. Amen. But it's to prove you so that you will see, I will see what is in our hearts. So the Bible says he led them through the wilderness. The next thing God does is to prove you and I. To know what is in our hearts. And to know whether we will obey his commandments or not. When everything is going well, it's easy to sing, Great is thy faithfulness, amazing grace, and all the wonderful songs. But when you are going through a wilderness experience, that is when what is in you shows. You see, you never know what is in a tea bag till you pour hot boiling water on it. You and I are like tea bags. It is when the pressure of the wilderness is on us, that is when what is really in our hearts come out. When you are offended in the church, that's when we see what is in your heart. When you are angry with your pastor, that's when we see what is in your heart. When you feel let down, that's when we see what is in your heart. All those unpleasant situations are tests. And God will use that to prove you to see what is in your heart. If you're a leader, you're going through a difficult time, God will, will use it to see, are you really a shepherd? Do you really care for the sheep? 
When the sheep turn against you, will you slaughter the others? What is in your heart? Sometimes it's a marriage situation. You look all so nice every day. You prepare nice meals for your husband, pap, and bohebi linama, and all that goes with it. But when he annoys you, when he doesn't deserve your love, when your wife doesn't deserve your love, that is when God proves you to know what is in thine heart. Because when you are good, when all is bright and sunny, we don't know what is in your heart. But when like a tea bag, the hot water is poured on, then we know what is in your heart. And God did that test with Abraham. Now, hmm, this scripture has always made me a little uncomfortable. In Genesis 22 verse 2, the Bible says, God said to Abraham, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I tell thee of. How can God describe something that you love so well? You've waited for so many years. You had Isaac at 100. As soon as you have Isaac, you've even had a big outdooring. Then God suddenly comes and says, take now thy son. And then he describes in detail, thine only son. And then the third one, whom thou lovest. Which means that you, God, you know what you are doing. And then you say, I should go and offer him. And then in verse 12, the Bible says, God calls out of heaven. And he says to Abraham, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him. For what? For now I know that thou fearest God. Another version says, I know what is in thine heart that thou fearest God. Seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Beloved, your attitude in the wilderness denotes your altitude in prosperity. In the wilderness, God will make demands that don't seem fair. You make demands that are difficult. And you know, I always wonder, so how was Abraham able to do this? Was it just pure obedience? He just got up and he took Isaac. But Hebrews 11 has the answer. It said that Abraham trusted in God that he was able to raise the dead and resurrect them. That's what the book of Hebrews says, chapter 11 says. It says that when Abraham was sacrificing Isaac, he knew that God was able to resurrect Isaac. I'm like, wow, that was his secret to prove you what is in your heart. As the pandemic is around, as we are suffering more poverty, as Zimbabwe is going through all the problems it's going through, can God count on you? Through the changing scenes of life, will you stay with him and know that in the midst of it, God is still God? And do you know many years after, God said to Isaac, I'll bless you, I'll prosper you, and do you know why? He said, because your father Abraham is obedient. Can you imagine the prosperity that came to Abraham? It went on and on until Isaac was even born. Uh, Genesis 26 verse 5. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments and my statutes and my laws. I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries. In thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Abraham's obedience long ago is inuring to Isaac and beyond. Beloved, that is really prosperity in the wilderness. God said in the wilderness, he made sure that their shoes did not become old. Their clothes did not wax cold. In order to survive in the wilderness, it's going to take a certain trust, a certain dependence, a certain openness with God for him to bring us to that place. On that note, I pray that whatever that pandemic may have brought, whatever will lie in the future, whatever battles, whatever wilderness, you will not lose your way you will not lose your call, but in the midst of it, you will see that God is faithful because he brought Abraham to a good place. He brought Isaac to a good place because of Abraham's obedience. He brought Israel to a good place when all was said and done. And he will also bring you to a good place 
even in the midst of the wilderness. Amen, somebody. Now, before I take my seat, I would like to quickly ask that we all close our eyes. You are here at this conference. You are attending via whatever means, and you don't know Jesus as your savior. Or you know God, but a wilderness experience has caused you to take some back seats and back steps. At this moment, God is calling you, and God wants to make a difference in your life. Would you just give your life to Christ now and become whole in his presence? Look, no righteousness of ours is good enough. Our righteousness are like filthy rags before God. But God is calling on you to give your life to him. Green leaves fall, brown leaves fall. You don't know the day of reckoning. Look at how this pandemic came suddenly. Look at how it has come with different variants. Beloved, we have to be ready. I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. Now say this prayer after me. and mean it with all your heart. Dear Jesus, at this moment, I come to you just as I am. I recognize that I'm a sinner. Take my life and become the Lord and the master of my life. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to save me. And thank you that because of the resurrection, I have eternal life beginning from now. And thank you that by this prayer, I have become a child of God. Amen and amen. God use these nuggets, these seeds that have been planted. May he water it and may it bring increase into your life. Prosperity in the wilderness, it is possible because God says so. God bless you. Lord, I am grateful. I'm a maximized woman. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.